Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore. This show explores the impacts of commonly used phrases on our world's diverse cultures and how people's use of them shape our perspective on the societies we live within. I hope everyone is doing well and starting to enjoy spring. Birds are chirping and life as we know it seems to be returning to normal. Today's metaphor is certainly one that is not normally considered to be normal. Life is like an onion. It's certainly one of the most unique and interesting metaphors I've heard in a long time. The metaphor, life is like an onion, was chosen by this week's guest, Semi Ero. She shares her trials and tribulations in her new book, When the Fog Lifts, Gaining Clarity After Chaos and Confusion. Even through her difficult experiences, Semi manages to bring moments of joy to her work. Her choice of metaphor gave us an opportunity to find out how onions really do relate to life. Her story creates dialogue surrounding the trauma within toxic marriages and how living life as if it were an onion can not only bring tears to your eyes, but as you tear off layers of skin, it provides opportunities to cut out the things that make you cry. And if you don't understand how I'm saying this, you must listen to the interview, it will become clear. Before we speak to Semi, let's take a look at how her chosen phrase came to be. Life is like an onion, you peel it off one layer at a time and sometimes you weep. Today's quote comes from American poet, biographer and journalist Carl Sandburg. Sandburg is best known for his passion for penning works that captured American life and society. Having lived from 1878 to 1967, he saw countless important events during the 20th century, which he of course wrote about. Always looking forward, he understood the ways in which America was changing culturally, politically and economically, and he used this to provide a voice to the nation. Coming from poor immigrant parents, Sandberg embodied a positive spin of the American dream, working countless labor jobs starting at age 13 and even a stint in the army before reaching national fame. At his memorial service, Arriving completely unannounced, President Lyndon B. Johnson said that Carl Sandburg was more than the voice of America, more than the poet of its strength and genius. He was America. You probably best recognize today's line from 2001's animated movie, Shrek. For information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Example? Example? Okay, um... Ogres are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. Oh, they make you cry? No. Oh, you leave them out in the sun, they get all brown, start sprouting little white hairs. No. Layers. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers. You get it. We both have layers. Like ogres, we can describe ourselves to be like an onion. Not because when you cut one open, you probably will end up crying. But it's the idea that we have many layers to us. It takes the right person in the right situation to encourage us to peel back one layer and reveal the next. Some would say that we have four distinctive layers. 
Our first layer is what we present to the world, what others see who don't actually know us. Think about a famous actor you may like or even one you don't care for. You have this idea of who they are, but have never actually met or spoken to them. We can have such strong opinions about them, all based on a five-minute interview or a misguided tweet. The second layer is what you reveal at work to your colleagues. You present yourself a little more openly, but because of professionalism, you still have to hold a certain amount back. This layer is incredibly hard to navigate in the working world, especially when trying to first secure a job. With the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot more of us are looking for new working opportunities, the struggle being very real. It's so hard to share a full, interesting side of ourselves on a CV or in a 30-minute interview. Even when we are working, we may struggle to know exactly what is appropriate to reveal. Here is PhD student Courtney Bryant discussing this a little more deeply. Authenticity is defined as the degree to which a person acts in line with his or her core identity. At work, that means being able to share your original ideas, express your true feelings, and operate within your true values. Does this mean that if you don't like your coworker, you can be rude to them or give them a poisonous apple? Of course not. And what that does mean is that you are able to express your unique contribution to your organization as yourself. This push for authenticity is awesome because it shows that organizations care about employee happiness. But here's the question. Who is free to be authentic? Organizational researchers, such as myself, study how those with stigmatized or minority identities can only present pieces of themselves rather than their true authentic self because their whole self is not valued or appreciated in the workplace. Presenting their whole self may be faced with discrimination, bullying, or possibly even losing their jobs. People feel like they have to wear a suit of armor in order to be accepted. The next and third layer would be what your friends and family are accustomed to, much closer to the core of who you are, but not quite there yet. You may initially think you are comfortable at this layer, but as we age and our relationships change, we start to think more about how much we should keep peeling back or not. Finally, is your inner self, the one that has hopes and fears, the person who has secretly planned to travel through Asia for the past few years, but has never gotten the courage to just get up and go or the one who never mentions that they have no idea who Annie Lennox is, so as not to be ridiculed by their peers. As much as we do try to reveal bits of this to our close friends and partners, you can't possibly broadcast an endless train of inner thoughts and feelings. Oversharing, in fact, is sometimes a symptom of something a little more serious like anxiety disorder or BPD, borderline personality disorder. We've all allowed ourselves to be vulnerable at some point or another. It's something that allows us to get closer to others or even feel comforted in ourselves, but doing it too much can in fact push others away. Here's YouTuber Eric Wen illustrating the point in a much more relatable manner. I saw myself, my personality, my qualities, my, my story really, as this mixture of good and bad. There was a good version of me and a bad version of me. 
And so from this viewpoint, vulnerability becomes being open with the bad side of you, sharing something and making something public from the scary side of you. I tried testing this out. I remember in church, we used to have these small group situations and you know, everyone would go around in a circle and I'd be like, hey, I wanna be open, I wanna be vulnerable, I wanna be strong, and so I'd pick a really big secret, a really big struggle, and you know, just nuclear strike everyone with in what I thought was crazy vulnerability and authenticity. The thing is that whenever I did that, it felt bad. Often, I didn't feel stronger after doing that, I felt weaker. I felt like I had given away a piece of myself to other people. Now they ha had my secret. Now they had leverage over me. Now they had this new opportunity to judge me or look down on me. In retrospect, this old approach to vulnerability was definitely erring on the side of oversharing. And that's because I wasn't really thinking about who I was explaining things to. I wasn't clear if I had a point or if I had resolved these things for myself. You know, and also oftentimes I was putting a burden on other people. Clearly this metaphor has more depth than we originally thought. One could say that this metaphor in itself has many layers. To talk more about this metaphor is our guest, Semi Iro. Having become an accomplished author, Semi tells us about her life as an author, her greatest achievements, and what the metaphor, life is like an onion, means to her. Demi, how does this metaphor, life is an onion, relate to you? The metaphor, life is an onion, relates to me because it just shows the different layers of my life and how I have been able to deal with adversity that has been thrown at me, you know, with renewed strength every time. You know, like with the onion, every time you open like a, a different layer, you have like a fresh you know, a fresher part of it. And the original metaphor says, you know, sometimes you weep when you're uncovering an, an onion. So, you know, it's not been easy for me, but I, I like the fact that I've been able to, I've been blessed to have renewed strength, some type of courage from somewhere every time something is thrown at me, some life uh, challenge is thrown at me. And how did you come up with such a unique idea for a book? And can you tell us a little bit about it and the message that you'd like the readers to take away from it? Or do you want to leave the message between you and the reader? <laughs> no, because I want everybody to run and get the book, so no. <laughs> um, so I didn't come up with the idea. I was just journaling and then it just kind of evolved and I was like, oh my goodness, there's a story here. And I kept having conversations with, with women, um, with girls, with men. And I just realized that, you know, there are a lot of people dealing with a lot of stuff, especially last year with the pandemic. And so I started journaling and then I started writing my story and then I started relating it to my conversations. And I just, I was like, oh my goodness, I have to write about how you just, um, overcome trauma and pain and how you find your purpose like I have to write about it I have to encourage people because a lot of people are going through so much um, the message the main message that I there are many messages but the main one that I want to um, share is that I believe um, especially as women that we can thrive within any type of relationships that we're in, as long as we understand that we're individuals separate from 
another person. So, you know, it's about self-discovery. It's about self-confidence. It's about understanding, you know, your, you know, understanding yourself, understanding your triggers, understanding, you know, who you're with. So even in a work relationship, a love relationship, a relationship with your children, like it's always important to understand who you are and discover yourself so that you understand how to deal with what is in front of you. Um, and I found that a lot with myself because I was confused. I was just kind of living life. I was just like, you know, blaming people and things like that. And I was like, you know, nobody's going to fight for me. I have to fight for myself. And so I had to do the work. I had to discover myself. So I want people to understand that self-discovery is very important and understanding that you're an individual responsible for yourself is also very important. No one is going to fight for you as hard as you do. Well, I love the way that your book uses the discussion and reflection questions. I think it's imperative, really, that when you're reading a book that is a mixture of what's happened to the author and what can potentially be happening to you, that you have a breathing space. And yes. how you, you reflect is so important. But I think one of the most important things about the reflection is to be honest with yourself and to take as much time as you need to do that reflection because your initial instinct to write might not actually be the truth. It might be something that it's in you, it's programmed in you. You've done it so long and so many times. It's now a habit, but it's not necessarily you. As you were talking, I thought about one of the questions that you yourself pose, which was about the straw that broke the camel's back. And you asked, what was that straw in the relationships that broke the camel's back? And if someone is honest with themselves, they most probably will see a pattern from all the relationships of that straw. And I thought of that in reading the book and then reading that question. And I thought, yes, I could see a very clear pattern. And I think in seeing that clear pattern, that will help you to overcome what you have to do to not yes. get into that pattern. So I'm turning the question round on you now. What was the straw that broke your camel's back when you decided this is no longer a journal, this is a book? Was there a particular relationship that made you think, you know what, this journal, although it was about me, it actually started because of a relationship? There were many things. Um, you know, initially I wanted to also write about people, other people's perspectives on just different life topics, but, you know, people weren't as honest with me or they weren't, you know, they didn't want to share as much, you know, it was too much information. Um, and so... I just had different conversations with people and I was afraid to write the story because I didn't want my ex-husband to read the book. Mm, <laughs> Imagine <so> that. <laughs> and, um, you know, one day I was, I was just, um, talking to a friend of mine and she called me, you know, I became like the separation divorce guru because everybody felt they were comfortable talking to me now. Mm -hmm. And she called me and she was crying. And she was just telling me how stuck she felt and how she had no intention of leaving her marriage, but she wasn't happy. And she, you know, she had reasons why she couldn't leave her marriage, you know, just so many reasons, right, that she felt she couldn't leave her marriage. 
And, you know, something just said to me, like, you're a voice for many people. You've made it out. You have been blessed with the, with the resources to be able to make it out, the courage to make it out, right? So you're a voice, and this is bigger than you, right? So I was like, I asked myself, I said, as long as my children are okay with the contents of this book, I don't care about anybody else because this book is for somebody out there. So that was the moment when I decided that I would write the preface and add something for my children in the preface. And I was going to publish just whatever I felt and just publish it and just do what I needed to do because I felt like it was bigger than me. And I'm finding that it's bigger than me. So many people are able to relate to the book um, in just different ways. Okay, now we've been saying the book a lot. Um, can you tell the listeners the name of the book and how they could purchase it? Yes, the name of the book is When the Fog Lifts and it um, is available on Amazon and also on my website, semiero.com. That's S-E-M-E-E-R-O-H.com. And what would you say has been the most challenging moment of your life and how did you deal with this? Um, so, you know, if we refer it back to, um, if we refer it back to the metaphor, you know, life is like an onion, you know, I've had many, many challenges in my life, but the most, the, the most challenging time is not one time is my role as a wife. Um, I, I just was not prepared for it. And I started to see that, you know, I had to show up. I had many faces. So I had to show up as different people in different situations. And it was so confusing. It was like I was always in limbo. I was trying to save face here. I was trying to say everything was okay here, but I was honest with some people here. And, you know, then I, you know, I, I went through like the emotional abuse that I went through at home. And it was, it was just different, different layers of me that I didn't even think I had. And it was just challenging for me because, you know, I'm not, I'm not that complicated. I'm, I'm really not. I'm very, I'm not that complicated. So it was driving me crazy. And, you know, when it started to affect my health, I, I had to, I had to figure out what I wanted to do. So I think, you know, the challenging, the most challenging part for me that it was not necessarily one thing. I think it was my role as a wife and trying to understand, you know, what my partner needed from me, but I didn't realize that it wasn't about what he needed from me. It was about what I wanted to be, you know, as a wife and maybe not a wife to that person. So it was a very challenging, mind boggling, um, mind game it was very stressful for me because it was just too much it was like a math equation and it was i still haven't solved it what are you up to now i know you've got your your book how are you trying to get the words out what the, has the response been about the book you yes. mentioned your children earlier are they okay with it your friends give us an idea of where you're at um, so I'll start with the later part of the question. My children, um, one of them has read the book. The other two are just being lazy. But um, 
they're okay with it. They're proud. You know, my son is very proud of me. He's 15 and he says, you know, you just, you did it. He did, you know, you're, I'm very proud of you. I'm very happy that you told your story. Um, I didn't know you were going through all that. Um, my friends um, also are very happy for me. My family is very supportive, very happy for me. Um, some people still try to question me out of my own book, you know, like, but why, why didn't you say, or why didn't you tell, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, it's okay. It's part of, you know, I, I didn't expect everybody to like the book. And um, now I have live sessions on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is at Samerity Connections. And I have live sessions on Instagram um, at least every other Sunday. I'm launching my uh, YouTube um, channel this week. And um, with the live sessions, I just pick different topics. So this Sunday, we're talking. I'm talking to two of my very good friends who are sexual abuse uh, survivors, and they're just going to tell us about how family, if the person is part of the family, how the family reacts to having the two people, the victim and the abuser, in the same circle, and how they felt about that. Um, we're also going to do one with uh, for mental health awareness next week. I'm just talking about mental health. So I'm, you know, I'm just trying to help people cope and, you know, find experts, you know, bring people together to have those serious conversations. That's really what my goal is, um, you know, right now after writing the book is to have people, it, the book sparks so much conversation, sparks so much questions. So I'm, I'm getting a lot of people reaching out to me saying, I want to talk about this. I want to, you know, I can't believe that you were going through this as well. So just different life aspects and just bringing people together to have those conversations. So it seems like telling your story has helped others to tell their stories. Interesting stories, but at the same time, we have to remember that for some, it is their life and it is commendable of them to share what they're going through in the hope that it helps somebody else or prevents someone else from going through what they did. Semi, thank you so much for spending this time with us and all the best with your book and your, your future endeavours. Listening to Semi, I realized that metaphors can be described as their own special language, as not only do they provide us with stories, but they all have commonality. Guest interviews always open my mind to understanding how metaphors impact people and how they relate to them. Let's take a listen as to how the metaphor, life is an onion, can be perceived. The idea of peeling back layers is not at all new in the field of psychology, with an onion as an analogy being fairly commonplace. Moving through these layers as you get to know someone is called social penetration theory. On the other hand, when we avoid revealing our true selves for whatever reason, this is called masking. Sometimes we conform to the people around us as we fear abuse or embarrassment. We mask our real emotions in an attempt to fit in. It's more common for women to mask than men as they have more pressures amongst society to be nice and agreeable. Over 75% of those diagnosed with autism are male, leading many to believe that this particular mental difference is more prevalent in males. However, women are often diagnosed at a much later stage because of the self-inflicted requirement to mask to not only fit into society as autistic, but as a female. 
Though pretending to be who we aren't can be tiring for all, it is especially draining on those with autism. Already seeing that they don't always fit in amongst their peers, this form of camouflaging requires mental focus on how to act the right way. This internal battle is called social burnout. It can lead to other issues such as anxiety and depression, some of which may be diagnosed before the autism altogether. Here are a few experiences of a group of autistic women. I don't know, I you know, always get the you don't look autistic thing. Autism is like an internal thing, not an external thing. No one looks autistic. When people find that out, the first thing they're like, you don't act autistic. And I'm like, you know, I had to go through a lot of stuff to learn how to mask my idiosyncrasies. Autism isn't a linear spectrum of high or low. It's a whole bunch of different traits that are on their own spectrums. It's kind of a 3D, weird mess. Autism is simply a, a different way of, of thinking and seeing and, you know, and interacting with one's world. I view autism as realness. It takes a lot of effort to appear like the way I do right now. Like it takes a lot of like conscious awareness. Social skills are like a muscle for us. It's very, very draining. You know, even with people that I care for or enjoy being around, I have to psych myself up to be around them. All the little things that everyone does um, unconsciously, autistic people do manually, so that adds up. What I'm doing with every part of my body, I am to some degree aware of and trying to do. A lot of women, women that I know who are autistic, are not diagnosed until their 20s, 30s, or even beyond. A large part of this is because the way that we diagnose autism is by using criteria that were created observing boys. And autism looks different in girls and women than it does in boys. For going root vegetables for a second, when we use the idea of peeling back layers as a metaphor, we often mean that a situation is more complicated than it may have first appeared. Whether we relate to being like an onion or an ogre, it is always important to remember that people are more complex than they may have first seemed. We have all experienced the difficulties of hiding our deepest selves, but in its own beautiful way, we can all relate to each other on this fact. I don't know about you, but I have actually grown to really like this metaphor. The idea that within ourselves is previous versions of our older selves, and that if we required, we could peel back a version of ourselves to show our old selves and also gives us an opportunity to make ourselves a bit happier if we'd like to. It's a very unique way of looking at our lives. The first word that came to mind when I heard the metaphor life is like an onion was bittersweet. Why? Because onions play havoc on the eyes. That's the bitter part. And as the onion becomes smaller, some people say it becomes sweeter, but as a symbol, it provides opportunities to unravel and explore, so we don't cry anymore. I hope the research uncovered by our segment writer, Sabina Lal Chopra Garcia, has taught you a little bit about yourself and made you think slightly differently about the outcome of putting up barriers, metaphorically and realistically. You'll probably look at an onion differently when you peel it now. I know I will. Thank you, Semi Aero, for joining me this week. If you want to find Semi's book, all you have to do is give it a Google. When the fog lifts, 
Gaining Clarity After Chaos and Confusion, or go to our Facebook page. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at msdelia at deliadelore.com and we'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colourful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. Make sure you subscribe there. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Until next week, keep safe. Goodbye.